right, what it is, everybody. This is the War Report. Back some more football talk this week with my man Ryan Bukovetsky. This is Kyle Means, of course, editorial director of WeAreRegalRadio.com. And, uh, you know, if you listened to us last week, you know, we picked the divisional games. And, uh, you know, me and Ryan both with the same ways in each game, four games, we picked the same winners. And I guess we both went two and two, you know, so pretty, pretty good, you know, like 500 at least, not, not embarrassing, you know, but uh, especially given a lot of the unexpected things that happened uh, in the, in the divisional round. But uh, it was a pretty interesting, interesting games, of course, as it typically is at this point in with the NFL playoffs and uh, leaves us now to two more games to decide who's heading to the Super Bowl. In the NFC, you got the Green Bay Packers visiting the 49ers. And in the AFC, you got the Tennessee team with like the Cinderella team of this year's NFC. Uh, the, uh, excuse me. The, the, this, year, uh, the, this year's Cinderella team of the playoffs, uh, visiting Kansas city. And, um, yeah, let's just, let's just, uh, before we get into these week's games, you know, I'll bring you in Ryan, uh, you know, what, what, what were your thoughts, man, on, on last week's games? And, uh, you know, of course you had one big, big upset and, um, you know, a cup, you know, one game that didn't, uh, you know, one game that started out like as a big upset, but wound up being a you know a, a laugher in a way in the second half. Another game wasn't wasn't really competitive at all. The first game of the week, uh, San Francisco and Minnesota, and uh, and Seattle and Green Bay wound up being pretty much every bit as competitive as we thought. And Green Bay, uh, you know, pulled it out with a little bit more of that Rogers magic. So, uh, now, what are your thoughts overall on those games and what they set up for us this week? Yeah, in some ways, uh, Kyle, I was a little surprised, and in some ways, I wasn't. I I felt like there was only going to be one upset, but I was dead wrong on which which upset it would be, and it was a surprising one at that. I I felt pretty confident about Baltimore taking down Tennessee and. Uh, almost went as far as feeling like that was the lock of the week, really, just because all the ingredients were there for Baltimore. And I, I felt like they were uh, the more consistent team and a front runner than 10. So they would get off to a good start. pitching staff panicked a little bit and panicked too early. Uh, they threw... Uh, the ball a lot more than I expected them to. And I was surprised that they didn't even try really a tactic of getting Mark Ingram going, but perhaps his health really was just not allowing him to go. But even getting Lamar as more of a runner, I was surprised that they threw it as much as they did. But uh, for the Titans, it, it's it's been shown now for a couple weeks that with Derrick Henry, they're going to run the football Bill Belichick is renowned for being the guy that takes away your best weapon, and he couldn't even take away Derrick Henry. So I think it's uh, pretty safe to say that the Titans are going to 
run the football and run it pretty successfully with Derrick Henry, basically against whoever they play. Uh, It's going to be interesting with that game this weekend with the Chiefs. And looking at their divisional round game against the Texans, uh, it was amazing to see them just fall down 24-0. And I really felt Bill O'Brien made a mistake in going for that field goal. I would have definitely gone for that fourth and one and tried to go for a touchdown, especially after the game when he said, he felt they needed 50 points. I don't know why you go for a field goal there. And then obviously he goes for that punt fake that doesn't work out. And the chiefs are right back in the game and they just never looked back after that second quarter. So really impressive stuff. Uh, Deshaun Watson was great, but the chiefs have just so much uh, talent around Patrick Mahomes. And I think Patrick Mahomes is playing probably the best at the quarterback position right now in the NFL period. So, uh, it's going to be a fun matchup with the Titans and the Chiefs. And then looking at the NFC side in the divisional round, uh, Seattle, I, I, would, I thought they were going to go into Green Bay and take it. And they definitely had some shots late in that game where they maybe could have stolen that one. But I was a little bit surprised at how little they tried to use Russell Wilson. Uh, to me, that was a game where you just want to unleash him and just let him go because – you just didn't know what you were going to get out of Marshawn Lynch, and they have just not been the same Seattle team ever since Chris Carson has gone down. So let your best player go out there and win it, and he almost did in that second half, but Aaron Rodgers was great, and I'm not surprised. He usually plays really well at home, and if you don't get pressure on him, he's going to pick you apart. It really doesn't matter who you are. So that's going to be the interesting thing with their game against San Francisco because San Francisco in their game against uh, Minnesota just absolutely dominated them, I think, how most people kind of anticipated. Maybe some people felt that, that the Vikings team could go in there and, and play uh, San Francisco tough, but I just thought they both play the same style of football, but San Fran has clearly a little bit more talent on their defensive line, and they're a better running football team with Yushef and uh, George Kittle. It, it, it's really tough to uh, figure out what this creative offense is going to do. And for the Packers, they got to find a way to protect Aaron Rodgers and uh, get after Jimmy Garoppolo or at least stop their run game. So uh, this week's matchups, unlike uh, the divisional round, they felt like each team kind of played a similar opponent to themselves. But this week, you've got kind of polar opposite in each matchup. Yeah, yeah. I think – some of the similarities worked particularly well for uh, for Tennessee last week in them in that matchup, and they were able to run in the way that Baltimore probably wished they could have ran at that point. But uh, you know the injury to to uh, to uh, Ingram, you know, very very much hobbled them, and um, you know it. And I think some of the similarities too, like. Uh, San Francisco was sort of like a hulked up version of uh, of Minnesota, and uh, they just couldn't match them on on either side of the ball. Even though you know they could do a lot of the same things well, so yeah, it would, it would be interesting to see you know the, the sort of old styles make fights uh, philosophy that exists in boxing. You know, it, it, it could be very much the same way in football too. And uh, you know, to that to that degree, you know, what what do you think are the chances that we could see? I, I guess you know, I haven't looked at the at the spreads, but 
uh, I guess you would look at Green Bay as probably a, an underdog, at least technically, and uh, Tennessee as definite underdog. You know, what do you think are the, the chances that either one of those teams can make themselves into champions this weekend by outplaying the home team? Yeah, it's uh, I think they're good matchups this week. Uh, like the divisional round, I, everybody in the betting world really loved the favorites. It was pretty clear that the home teams were the favorites and everybody was betting them. But I just felt like these playoffs started off so wild that it, it's – and even how the regular season kind of ended, it's been a, a really interesting year of NFL football altogether. So – I, I didn't believe that all the favorites win. I felt there would be one upset, and that came in the form of the Titans. And I kind of get that feeling again this week. But uh, I have no idea which one to pick, to be honest, because to me, uh, the Titans, and also, too, Kyle, I believe both uh, road teams opened as uh, touchdown underdogs, seven-point underdogs. So the home team started off once again looking like the favorites pretty strongly. Let me and, get let me uh, get it up right now, uh, and yeah, that that's where they pretty much remain. Uh, you see some mostly seven, seven and a halves on both yeah. sides. So yeah, well, who if who would you think would who you think would be the better team to cover? Not necessarily win, but cover. I would say. I'll, yeah, I guess I'd say Green Bay. Yeah, and even for the upset, I'd probably say Green Bay because for the Titans, their issue in this game is they want to play, obviously, three really perfect phases of football or as close to perfect as possible. Have Derrick Henry go off as he has normally done over these last seven, eight, nine weeks, whatever it's been, and control the clock. But the issue is the Chiefs are basically like the Warriors in their heyday on, in the basketball world where it, they can just score out of nowhere and score so quickly, and they proved that in that Texans game. And the Texans, at least for that first quarter, I mean, they won every phase. They got the special teams touchdown. They got the special teams turnover. Defense was holding Patrick Mahomes on every third down, and the offense was scoring, scoring, scoring. So it was a, a perfect start. And I'm sure Mike Vrabel is saying we got to start off exactly like the Texans did, but we got to sustain it this time. And that's going to be tough because time of possession doesn't really matter for the Chiefs. It, you're going to have to score, you know, at least over 30 points and try to hold them to around 30. That's going to be very difficult to do, and especially if time of possession doesn't matter. So for Mike Vrabel and his staff, I think they need to find a way to create some turnovers, but Patrick Mahomes just doesn't throw interceptions. So it's going to be really tough for them to just create turnovers in this game. And looking at Green Bay versus San Francisco, uh, I think Green Bay is going to struggle in this game as well because I just don't know if they have an answer for that defensive front of the 49ers. It's just it's so great, and we've seen over and over the best way to stop a great quarterback is by getting pressure on him, and especially Rodgers. He is not uh, the best when it comes to rushing for and getting pressure on him. 
because he is not the type of quarterback that really tries to fit it in there, even though he has that ability. He's more of a, I'm going to take the smart throws and live to play another down. So I wonder if that Green Bay offense is going to be too stymied, and I don't think their defense is good enough to stop the run game of the 49ers because what they do is just so creative with their running backs. They've got that fullback in Kyle Yushchev who – he is just able to be a receiver or a runner. They can move him around all over the formation. George Kittle is the best tight end in football, and he does it as a blocker, as but mainly as a receiver. So it's going to be really tough for that Green Bay defense, unlike against Seattle where they played pretty well. Uh, Seattle was basically Russell Wilson or nothing, where in this game it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo is a threat, but really everything else around him is so great. So you need him to have a horrible game, and you got to get pressure on him. And those are a lot of things that I don't know if Green Bay is just capable of doing at a dominant level. Where I see them is if they can protect Aaron Rodgers, then he's going to find a way to score some points and create some magic. And I think he has that ability to uh, at least lose close, if not pull off the upset. Yeah, I I agree with a lot of what you say there. I think I think uh, with as far as San Francisco goes, the only potential weak link is Garoppolo, and they're gonna have to rush him. Those Smith boys, Preston and, and Zadavius, however you call his name, Zadarius, yeah, they got to get after him in, in some ways. But I think, like you say, because San Francisco runs the ball so well. And they're so good at the short passing game and everything, with the you know with either Kittle or the fullback and stuff. They're going to be precious. They're going to be precious uh, times available where Green Bay will even have a chance to really make a defense a, cha- a game change and play with defense. So I think San Francisco can be conservative but also aggressive, and that's going to be a great way for them to keep control of the ball. And keep you know potentially Rogers off the field. Rogers is going to have to, you know, in that office, they're going to have to. They need more time to do the things that they do well, and to get points on the board. So you know, I I could like like you say, I could I foresee more of a of a typical San Francisco grind out win, and you know, hopefully it'll be punctuated by them getting after Rogers a bit and making him you know, uh, uncomfortable, at least in some key situations. But, uh, you know, like you, you know, you know we, we know what Rodgers is capable of. He can definitely – I think this is definitely a, a position he's going to be in this week where he's going to want to show who he is and, and be a vintage version of himself. And he may show that at parts, but I think – I don't think it'll be enough. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think Green Bay is definitely a threat if they're on and all three phases are playing really solid because of Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. They have a shot, but Seattle, I mean, their run game was just absolutely decimated going into the playoffs with the loss of Chris Carson, and they've really just not had a great offensive line all year long. Yeah. So when you lose all that, I think Green Bay really benefited in stopping the run. I, I think it's just going to be so much more difficult this week for them to stop the run. And if that is the case, if that defense isn't able to dictate the game as well as uh, Matt LaFleur would like, then it puts a lot of pressure on Rodgers. And he's going up against 
easily the best defensive line in football. And the best way to stop Aaron Rodgers, rush four, drop back seven, and that's exactly how the 49ers play. And they're healthier now than they were when they blew him out in that regular season game. Right. So Yeah, there's no real major injury, and they just they look ready. Richard Sherman looks great, and he made a big play. I think he's going to have that secondary playing well. He's played a lot of games against Aaron Rodgers. If he shuts down a side of the field, I mean, there's a lot going against this Packers team. and That's asking a lot of magic out of Aaron Rodgers, sort of like asking how much magic they needed for Seattle by Russell Wilson. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how much Sherman will uh, will be up against uh, Devontae, and uh, you know, you know that could be a pretty interesting matchup there. One where uh, you know Sherman, he, we've seen him before the playoffs step up in situations like that. So, you know, if if he's able to shut down not only the 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 one receiver for Green Bay, but really the only receiver, you know. That that that'll be big. Yeah, I I think Green Bay they need somebody else to step up in the receiving game. Like you said last week, it was Jimmy Graham. They need another uh, performance like that. They need Devonte Adams to take advantage of that other corner spot because Sam Fran has had some trouble with the the second corner. Uh, but overall, it, it's going to be uh, it, they have to execute from start to finish. They got to play a full game and play really solidly in each phase and get enough magic from Aaron Rodgers to win that game, especially because it's in San Francisco. Yeah. And it's up, you know, some people are saying that that may spark something in uh, Rodgers too, because that's his home area. But, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. And they famously uh, didn't draft him. He's always had that grudge against San Fran. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he knows how to work with a chip on the shoulder, but, uh, it looks like so the, in the NFC coming out of the NFC we got San Francisco it looks like and uh just to sh- to to solidify things over in the AFC confirm things as it were you know uh, I, I guess it looks like you know you, you know both of us will go with uh Kansas City as well but you know just to look to look at it a little uh, like I say to look at it fully I think Tennessee that defense no, they're much they're a much better coach team than Houston is. Their their execution is much better. I, they got a pretty they got some pretty good talent there. Malcolm Butler, some veteran guys uh, in the in the in the defensive backfield, um, and and they got some they got some pretty good they got some they they did some, did a pretty good uh, job at least up the middles in particular getting rush on uh on Lamar Jackson and uh you know they you know he was doing a lot of of uh unplanned scrambling last week against Tennessee so you know maybe they could maybe they could make tr- make some trouble on uh Kansas City and disrupt them a bit but like he, that was a great comparison you made with Golden State like the way that Kansas City controls the pace of the game and the fact that they could, they really could look at any deficit and not be scared. Like, like with Golden State, with all their three point shooting, they could be down twenty points and be like, oh, "We could turn this around in a quarter." Uh, Kansas City could look at a three, four touchdown lead, and just as they did last week against Houston, and say, "Oh, we could do this in a quarter," and 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 really turn the game around. So it's it's really 
in spite of all the history that Kansas City has had as a franchise, you know, bad history <laughs> since about the 60s. That's like the last time they really came through in the playoffs uh, with the very first Super Bowls and stuff. And uh, compound that with Andy Reid's tough history in the postseason, I think this is going to be the breakthrough year. This, you know, Mahomes is the guy. He, he's he's the he's the golden child. He's the guy whose Reed has been waiting on all his career. He's the guy whose Kansas City's been waiting on for fifty years, and I think he's going to get him to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I feel pretty good about Patrick Mahomes right now, and I think the Chiefs are probably going to go. And when I kind of felt going into the playoffs loosely in my head, San Francisco and Kansas City, I just thought they had the best path to uh, another championship or getting to the Super Bowl. But for Tennessee, they definitely have a shot in this game because we know Derrick Henry is going to go off. I mean, there's really no doubt in my mind that he's going to be around 200 yards, get probably yeah, about 20 to 25 carries. And he's going to get some screens and some attention in the past in the the passing game as well. Where it really I think boils down to is going to be Ryan Tannehill. It, can he make enough big plays downfield? Can he convert enough third and manageables where they'll probably be in that position? If he's able to not have as good of a day as Patrick Mahomes, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> but if he's able to put together a solid to really good game, they might have a, a chance if they create a turnover or two because defensively they're going to be a lot stouter than the Texans. I think Mike Rabel and his staff are going to have a much better day than Bill O'Brien and his staff did. And if they get off to a big enough lead to start and they're front running and they're in a comfortable position like that because they don't want to come from behind, but if they're front running, even if it's just a touchdown lead, they can just continue to pound Derrick Henry. And if you get to that fourth quarter with the lead, now you have some potential of really running down the clock, and that's where uh, the time of possession is going to actually matter. But can they get to that position is going to be the question. Oh, yeah. If that, that'll be some scary times for Kansas City if if they're, if this is like a one-touchdown game or, or if Tennessee even has the lead in particular in the fourth quarter, that'll be – that's going to be a tough time for Kansas City. So they, yeah, I just don't think Kansas City is going to stop Derrick Henry because no one has. Yeah, no one has done it for about two months now. Nope. And I don't expect that to change. So if you have that automatic, you have these third and manageables that you're you know you're going to have. You're going to have some play action downfield attempts. They're going to be there for Ryan Tannehill and the Titans offense. If they execute at a high level, they're going to have a shot to win the game. But if they're just kind of average, it's not going to be enough because there's going to be enough big plays made by Patrick Mahomes that the Titans offense has to respond in kind. Definitely. And, and, Tan and Tannehill probably is going to be the ultimate X factor. Like if, you know, they haven't even needed him to get 90 yards. Of, of passing offense in the first two games, he may have to double that at least, but, you know, it, depending on the timing of the plays that he makes and, you know, if he makes them in the red zone, maybe, you know, that, that could make a big difference. Yeah. And, and you know, he's made some big plays. He made a big play in that Baltimore game on that play action touchdown. Yeah. He's got to just do that 
and manage the third downs, I think it'll be pretty obvious to viewers, even if his stats look so pedestrian, we'll know if he's having a good game or not because it's not going to really be about the stats. Uh, if they have to throw a lot, then that means they're trailing and they probably had no shot to begin with. Uh, but if he is just kind of around those 20 attempts like he's been, if he's just converting third downs, making enough big plays downfield when they present themselves, then that's going to be the eye test that matters. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You can uh, you can read Ryan's uh, full takes on these upcoming games, these championship games, on WeAreEagleRadio.com. Uh, right, you can pretty much read them right now. I, I would guess when you hear this, but uh, it looks like we're we're of one accord again, Ryan, and and we both have San Francisco and KC in the Super Bowl. This is this is the Super Bowl that should have happened about twenty five years ago, when uh when Montana went over to Kansas City and and Steve Young took his job up there in the Bay. That would have been an awesome Super Bowl yeah. back then, but. He couldn't make and it any happen. Of the, any of the matchups would be great, obviously, because you got a lot of good storylines. Well, yeah. If it was Rodgers and Mahomes, that would be a great storyline. You know, the Titans, if they get in against anybody, they're going to be looked at as the ultimate underdog, and that one-yard short history is going to come back. So uh, it's great. With these four teams, there's going to be plenty of good matchups for the Super Bowl, no matter how it breaks. Yeah, you know, and let me, you know, I'm. I ain't gonna front. I'm hating on Green Bay, but if they do, if, if right, if they do make it to the Super Bowl, the idea of him and and Mahomes, that that's that's gonna be pretty awesome. You know, even if the storyline's gonna be running to the ground by Sunday, by that Sunday, you know, it's still gonna be great to, uh, you know, to anticipate and see how that plays out. So, yeah, like like you say, we're, we're pretty much at a you know, at a particularly historic crossroads here, we're looking at a couple of, of historic teams, really three historic teams, and uh, in Kansas City as well, along the NFC teams, and you know Tennessee, a team that could be a historic uh, uh, Cinderella underdog type team too. So this, yeah, this this should be fun here with these final games, and uh, we'll see how they how they set up the big game coming up at the end of at the end of things but uh before we uh you know like i said we, we pretty much leave it at that for this week but before we go you know we are bears fans and reporters so we want to give a little bit of that bears uh coverage this as we end this week uh two two stories come up you know bears find a new offensive coordinator uh this guy bill laser who last worked with cincinnati and the Bears also announced that they're not gonna, uh, you know, uh, have summer camp, training camp in Bourbonnais anymore. It's no longer Bourbonnais, and uh, they're keeping things at home in Hallis Hall throughout the summer. I think that's pretty boring, and I think it's more of a mostly a a, a way for them to control how the media and the fans. Uh, see things in camp. I think it's more of a control thing than anything. But I guess they say they do have you no know, better uh stuff up there, better uh they they're gonna have like more of a stadium type like like they have like they've had at uh Oliver Nazarene. They they'll have the facilities there 
to welcome people in and stuff, I guess. But I, you know, like, like for the most part, of uh, what people been saying online is, you know, it doesn't matter where you train, as long as they train right and get themselves right for the season. That's really what matters. But starting with Laser, you know, what's what's your thought on uh, these two uh, announcements this week, Ryan? Yeah, the three new coaches, uh, Bill Lazor, offensive coordinator, Juan Castillo, offensive line coach, and Clancy Barone, tight end coach. Um, three guys that didn't coach in 2019 at the NFL level. Um, I believe maybe the two or both or two or three. No, I'm sorry. One or two uh, might not have been coaching at all in 2019, but that's not necessarily anything that's a major red flag I, I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing but uh it's hard to tell with these coaches hires how exactly it's going to break down but one thing i really like about the three is they all have extensive nfl experience unlike the guys that were in those positions other than harry he mark helfrich didn't have any nfl experience and I'm not sure about Kevin Gilbride. I know he had some NFL experience because his dad was uh, a longtime coach uh, with the Giants. But I don't know how extensive his background is. But Bill Lazor, I mean, he's worked for Mike Holgren, Joe Gibbs, uh, Joe Philbin, and that Packers, Mike McCarthy offense. Uh, he worked with Marvin Lewis. I mean, he's worked with some good coaches, and he's been around some good quarterbacks. Ryan Tannehill's best season was under Bill Lazor, statistically-wise. Um, he's worked with Andy Dalton and did some good things with Andy Dalton. Uh, not necessarily names that just outright jump off the sheet. Uh, Nick Foles, when he had his best statistical season, I believe Bill Lazor was his quarterback's coach. So it, it, it's really all about what Matt Nagy gives these coaches as their kind of responsibilities, because we know that Lazor isn't going to be a play caller. It's still going to be Matt Nagy. So when you're not the play caller, I mean, everything comes down to Sundays when you play and then how the whatever plays get called for whatever reason. And obviously that's part of the game plan. But ultimately, Matt Nagy could just go completely off the game plan and pick his own plays. So it's hard to judge harshly with Helfrich and Heastand and then Gilbride, you know, how – how much responsibility did they have in the offense's inabilities to run the football, the weird play calls on Sunday, and just the overall lack of scheme shift to what clearly was working for them in 2019 and what wasn't working. So maybe that's inexperience on Matt Nagy's part, and he didn't have a lot of guys he could lean on. Uh, he hadn't worked with a lot uh, with those three, Harry Houston, Mark Helfrich, or Kevin Gilbride before. So now you bring in at least Juan Castillo he worked with in Philadelphia under Andy Reid. Um, I believe he spent some time with Clancy Barone too. I don't know. I, I don't know if they've had much contact, Bill Lazor and him, but uh, they're both from Western Pennsylvania. So they're from the same area. It's going to be interesting to see how the NFL experience maybe plays a factor but overall, uh, we're going to have to see it, what the roster changes are and then get an idea. But it would help if Matt Nagy would come out and kind of let us know what the responsibilities of everybody is. But I would assume that someone's going to be a running game coordinator type where these three have really been brought in to fix the run game, get that going, 
But also, too, with Bill Lazor, uh, I believe he set the record or set a record with the Dolphins for fewest uh, handoffs in a game. So him and Matt Nagy will be lockstep and barrel with that pass game. For oh, sure. God. We, well, we're going to have a five-running uh, five running attempt game this year? He had a nine. Bill Lazor, I believe, had the nine. Nine uh, in a game. Uh, I'm sure Montgomery's going to be happy with that. Yeah, it, uh, Juan Castillo, you know, he's been a running game coordinator with Buffalo. It's going to be interesting because usually uh, the uh, offensive uh, coordinator has the most responsibility. They're the highest on the food chain of the offense. But that's really Matt Nagy because he's a play caller and he's going to be ultimately deciding. So I don't know where Bill Lazor falls on the pecking line because after that is usually your offensive line coach. So Juan Castillo might be just as important or more important than Bill Lazor, but uh, hopefully, again, the NFL experience plays out because it just seems like Matt Nagy needs a little more help around him. Yeah, and like you said, that's the first thing that jumped out to me when I heard the decision because that uh, of laser being picked. I was like, okay, well, Nagy's gonna keep calling the plays because if if he like if he brought someone like Di Filippo in or something, I'd be like, okay, well, maybe he might. Uh, you know, see some of that control, but you know, with, with this guy, just just you know, whether you know whether you know his record or not, it's it's not the type of guy who you expect to come in and really uh, make the offense his own. So, I guess maybe to that degree, if he's making more of a collective thing, maybe it's you know, hopefully in some ways he will be allowing, you know, more of a collective group thinking sort of thing going on with the offense. And it won't, you know, maybe not everything will fall on him as, you know, because he's already head coach. He's got so much else that he has to deal with. You know, maybe that is the direction he's going in. I hope, hopes, hopefully that's the case. But like you say, you know, before we could make more of that, you know, uh, uh, more of that and more, for, you know, predicting what, it's going to be the case, you know. We got to see what the uh, the offense is going to be like, you know, personnel wise. How they're going to, you know, how they're going to come back this year. But are they going to have more more running backs available? You know, what are, who are the receivers going to be like with the tight end? You know, yeah, in the offensive line as well. You know, is that going to be made? In the place? Yeah, there there's a lot to be seen with the Bears offense and. They got a lot of room to improve. I'm sure they have room to improve with their coaching. Maybe we'll see that, but we always know that it's the players that ultimately decide, not uh, coaches. Sure. And uh, yeah, before we go, any thoughts on the the change in training camp sites? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's interesting. It's at least for this year. It might be a permanent thing, but they were under contract till 2022. They pulled out this year doesn't mean that they won't go back but i would think probably not likely uh that's definitely the trend in the nfl and the bears have been usually the team whether you know people like it or not they they're usually on the forefront when it comes to things they like spending money on like sports science and and competitive advantage they believe in all that stuff so they are not usually a team that kind of goes the old school way if anything they go new school and that's been the trend of late. Bring your team to your facility for training camp. Don't go away. 
And in some ways, that's a positive. Some ways, it's a negative. It's nice for teams to go out and kind of get that camaraderie. But also, too, uh, I'm sure players don't love living in a dorm as professional athletes for those few weeks. So maybe being at home, uh, the Bears facility is easily, if not the best facility, football facility in North America. It's got to be in the top five since it's pretty much brand new and they it's everything is state of the art and they they really did a great job with their facility by all accounts from what you hear from people so they won't get any better resources than what they have at uh, Lake Forest versus uh, Bourbon A so they don't have to deal with that and it does stink for the fans a lot of fans go to Bourbon A because that's kind of their only chance to see the team and they're gonna. They were having about six to ten thousand people last year in the summer. Uh, they're lucky if they get maybe five hundred to a thousand people at these new facilities because they just don't have the same room that uh, Bourbonnet has for the fans to come in. And uh, I'm sure that's gonna kind of damper the uh, the viewing experience. But like you said, Kyle, I mean, if this helps them become a better football team, I, I think every Bears fan would sign up for it, regardless. Yeah, that see that you could have all that riffraff down there around Kankakee, but they they're not gonna have that in Lake Forest. It, the, the Richies up there are not gonna want you know, want all these Bears fans coming around, parking their cars in the grass, and you know, you know, being all loud and you know, and ostentatious and stuff. You know, during the day, you know, they're gonna want to chill during the during the summer. You know, I, I you know, I. I I, you know, if I had it my way, I'd put the Bears out on the barge and on, on Lake Michigan somewhere and let them fight out for a couple months. Get them really tough for the, for the new season. You know, that's how. I, yeah, let's bring back two-a-days. Yeah, two-a-days. Because, you know, this kind of get in the mud, man. You know, get, get them somewhere on the south side, you know. All that all that unused area on the south lake, you know. Just put them right there and, just had them fight out. Well, they got no excuses with uh, facility-wise now that they'll be at home. So they better make things better. They soft. They they, they too soft. Now. Maybe they got, maybe they uh, added some toughness in that building somewhere. They just gotta find it. Oh, oh, but uh, yeah. But now though, we gonna we gonna tough it out and uh and send it out for this week with our foot with our football talk. We'll be back next week. You know, I like guess same old deal. Just uh, uh, talk about what happened in those championship games and give our first uh, preview of the of the Super Bowl. So, you know, it'll be pretty fun to see. Uh, looking forward to see how that goes now. But uh, yeah, for Ryan, you know, this is Kyle once again, and uh, yeah, that this is the War Report, our football segment this week. Make sure to listen to uh, Dean Davis with Ryan on it. Ken and Demise and get their thoughts on uh, the week in football and everything else as well. And uh, yeah, that's it. We'll, uh, we'll uh, get back with more of the War Report right after this. <laughs> 